After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, I don't know what you think of when you hear that read from the Bible or when you read it on your own, but... Sometimes, over the years, I've had a chance to hear it many times since I grew up in a home where my dad was a pastor. And if I was to be honest with you, I always thought of that as distant history. I always thought it as something so far away and those people were so different than me that I never really took what they did that, you know, that day seriously. And so uh, there was always kind of this gap. But a few years ago, God began to show me that they were people just like me. That even though they may have come from a different country and spoken a different language, that they were human like me, that they had to put their pants on one leg at a time or their robe one arm at a time. And the idea is, is that tonight, as we think about this Christmas, you and I, if we're willing, can respond like the Magi. A few years ago, as I was studying this passage, God showed me five ways that you and I can be like the Magi. And so I want to talk to you about that tonight so that as you leave this room tonight and head to your car, or head home, that you might actually be able to think of a way that you can personalize Christmas this year, that you can do something practical in your relationship with God. And I want to tell you that although I'm going to mention five, I don't expect you to remember all five. We got, we got enough things on our mind, don't we, tonight? But I hope that you can think of which one you resonate with the most as we walk through these five. So let me just dive right in. As you read Matthew 2, 1 through 12, the very first thing I, I would say to you that the Magi, I believe, would say to us is that like the Magi, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Now, where do I get this? We just watched the video that explained that nowhere in Matthew's account does it tell us how many Magi there were. Uh, because we've sung songs like We Three Kings of Orient Are, or because possibly there were three gifts, sometimes people have thought there were just three people each bringing a gift. But we don't know. One thing's for sure, though, is that we know the word magi is plural. It means more than one. And the idea is, is that several people, at least several people, said, hey, I'm going I'm to follow this star. 
I'm gonna, God is, is saying something to me. Will you join me? Let's do it together. Translated, some of us are trying to do the spiritual journey with God alone. How's that going for you? I've found over and over again that people go to a completely different place in their lives when they begin to walk side by side with like-minded people that are passionate about knowing Jesus better. And on the other side, I've also seen people that decided to have friends who were not interested in knowing more about Jesus, and I've watched them get stuck or go backwards. So have you. So I want to ask you this Christmas season, what kind of company are you keeping? Who are your friends? Who are those closest to you? Are you hanging out with people that are interested in knowing Jesus better? Because if you are, that can help you. And you might be one of those people for someone else this coming year. But boy, there was something about the way that they were able to catalyze and galvanize the spiritual hunger and interest in each other. And they didn't go it alone. And I would just remind you this Christmas, don't go it alone either. Find some friends that you can do that with. You may say, how do I do that? Well, if you're from Springfield and you don't already have a church family, we want to be the kind of church family that would provide that kind of environment, that kind of atmosphere where we could encourage each other. And you might find that helpful in a Sunday school class or a life group or at least another friend from this church. But you may be from another city. You may not be from this area. And you need to maybe just pray, Lord, would you help me find some other people, find a church or find a group of Christians that would help me that really do want to get to know you better. Don't go it alone. The second thing that we can do to be like the Magi is that we need to ask for directions. I love this one when I think about it. Uh, years ago, uh, my wife and I, we get different Christmas cards, and a couple in this church sent us a very funny one. I've, I've never forgotten it. And so let me just read what it said in the card. It says, know why Mary and Joseph arrived late in Bethlehem, too late to find a room in the inn, because Joseph wouldn't ask for directions. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? And my wife has reminded me many times that as a man, I'm sometimes I'll drive around forever before asking for directions, and it doesn't go very well. What I hope you'll see is that when they got to Jerusalem, whether the star disappeared for a while or whether they knew they were just supposed to stop there, they inquired of King Herod and also the religious leaders and said, where does the Old Testament prophesy that the Messiah is going to be born? Where is the one be born king of the Jews, is the question they asked in Matthew 2. And that question was really important to them. Let me just say this. You can ask for directions sometimes and not necessarily really be interested in the answer. They really wanted to know. How about you? Where are you? Maybe you're at a different place than some of the people sitting next to you. Maybe you're not even sure what you believe about God or Jesus or the Bible this Christmas season. I'm just so glad you're here. I'm glad that you came with family tonight, and maybe God knew you would be here, and he wants to speak to you in some way. But it might help you this Christmas season if you began to just say, you know what, I have a, a growing spiritual hunger, and I know that I'm probably not going to be able to keep growing if I don't humbly ask questions. Maybe you grew up in a home that discouraged questions or made you feel embarrassed or ashamed or belittled if you asked questions. Maybe you've known a teacher or a pastor or some kind of leader or coach in your life and they didn't really invite you to ask questions and ask for directions. No matter what that is, 
if you can overcome that, like the wise men did this Christmas season, that could be a turning point for you. Can you ask for directions? Are you at that place? We want to be a church family, we really do, that says no question is too silly. No question, if you really want to know the answer, is unimportant to God. And so I pray that maybe you'll ask for directions this Christmas. The third thing that you and I can do, like the Magi, is go the distance. Go the distance. Um, scholars tell us that this trip wasn't by jet plane, and it wasn't in a very convenient way. They traveled probably easily over 500 miles. Some people believe they might have come from as far away as Baghdad in Iraq or some other kind of Persian area of the world as they traveled west that way. And to do that, they had to rearrange their schedules. They had to put all time and expense and money into doing something like that. And they had to be willing to travel for months, even years, some scholars believe that it took at least a year to get that far into unknown territory. And so they found that it was many times probably easy to want to quit. They found there were probably different times where they were going, you know, this is taking longer than I thought it would take. This is harder than I thought it would be. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm not even sure it's worth it. They must have had those kind of struggles at times. And that's why I think it was important they didn't go it alone. But that's also where they had to dig down deep and decide that they were going to go the distance. Some of you know where I got this phrase. Some of you have watched the movie Field of Dreams. And when Trisha and I, when that movie first came out, lived out in Iowa. And so we were excited that a movie that talked about a farm in Iowa was going to be a big hit from Hollywood. And so we watched that. And actor Kevin Costner, if you've never seen it, is a farmer in Iowa, and he's on his tractor one day, and as he's there, excuse me, as he's there farming, he hears a voice, he can't see anyone, he hears a voice say, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. I remember when we first built this campus, we put that out and said, if we build it, will you come? Hoping that people might come and worship with us, but if you build it, they will come. And he knew what that meant. He, that meant that he was supposed to build a baseball field right in the middle of his cornfield, plow everything under, build a baseball field with lighted big lights there in the middle of nowhere. Boy, his neighbors laughed. Everyone in town thought he was crazy. It was really expensive. He really couldn't afford it, actually. He builds this, and he, he waits. He wonders, okay, now I built it. Who will come? And about the time that he's going to give up, he hears another voice say, go the distance. And when he goes the distance, he's able to meet these baseball players. And it's an incredible thing, but he almost quit. And I wonder tonight where you're at. I never know on a Sunday or a night like this, the people that walk in this place, what you're going through. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're this close to quitting right now. It has just gotten so heavy. It has just gotten so overwhelming. The confusion, the loss, the grief, the pain, the doubt, the wondering. And I wonder if you need to hear the Holy Spirit of God whisper to you tonight, don't quit. Don't quit. Go the distance. Keep trusting me. Keep following me. Keep obeying me. It will be worth it. There have been times, friends, I have wanted to quit. 
many times actually, following Jesus, being a pastor, all those things. And later, later, it's like God whispered to me, aren't you glad you didn't quit? Aren't you glad you went ahead and pushed through and went the distance because there were things I would have never experienced if I had quit? These magi would have missed seeing the king of the earth, the king of the world there in that little manger if they had quit, but they didn't. They went the distance. The fourth thing that you and I can do, like the Magi, is bow down. I found it quite fascinating that when they finally arrived, and notice that Matthew's Gospel says at the house, so that's why most scholars know this is later. This is not that same first night that Jesus was born when the shepherds went. But when they came to the house and saw the child, they were filled with joy, the Bible says, and then they did something that was incredibly physical. It says they bowed down and worshipped him. Have you, have you ever tried this? Have you ever actually physically gotten down on your knees or on your face and worshipped God? A few years ago, I had a man just recommend that I do this because we don't come from a country where there's kings. And he just said, just picture yourself worshipping Jesus. And he, he said, just do that. And as I worshipped God that way, I remember thinking to myself, you know, this is hard for a proud person to do. But these guys, these magi, they were probably some of the most brilliant, powerful, influential, well-connected, sophisticated leaders from their country. And when they got in front of this child, by the revelation of God, they realized that he was God's answer for the world. And they found themselves in total awe and reverence bowing down. Over the years, I've recommended physically bowing down to other believers, sometimes in the services. Years ago, after doing that, I received this note from a person in our church. I've never forgotten it. They write, I remembered when I got home and started to get into bed that I hadn't done my homework yet. And I had given that as homework to bow down, to try it. So I went to the front room so as not to wake my spouse. Once in the front room, I bowed before him. But I couldn't stay there. I had a hand on my back moving me onto my face before him. I started crying, and the Lord started showing me areas where I wouldn't let him lead. There were areas I was aware of, but he was showing me things I hadn't realized I needed to deal with. I asked him for strength to be obedient. Thank you for asking me to bow down. It had been a long time since I'd bowed before him, they write. You know, I... I don't know about you, but my experience in getting to know Jesus is it's, it's a battle. It's a struggle inside our souls. There is something inside of us that will not bow down and worship him. Worship means to totally surrender and yield and give him control of our lives. And these magi said, oh, it may look like the end of your life, but it's the beginning of your life when you finally come to that place. Maybe this Christmas, the Lord's been saying to you, will you bow down to me this Christmas and let me be the King and the Lord of you? Because there's something waiting on the other side of bowing down that you can't know until you do. The fifth thing that you and I can do, like the Magi, is that we can give him our very best. To give him your very best. And um, some of you may remember where this idea comes from. How many of you remember Hallmark cards? 
I love their, their, their slogan over the years, when you care enough to send the very best. They've done their work, haven't they, helping us remember. When you care enough to send the very best. In other words, if you really do care, then you'll send your very best. You won't send something less than your best. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what God did at Christmas. He realized that our problem, our separation from him was so profound that it wasn't going to get fixed by New Year's resolutions and us trying harder, that he was going to have to do something for us and in us and with us. And so the Bible says he made a decision to give us his own son, that he might be an innocent third party sacrificed on the cross in our place to pay for our sins and to open the way to God. I have a little plaque at home on my desk that I really like, it says, for God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. <laughs> he sent Jesus his very best. And when Jesus came to earth, he gave his very best. You see it in simple conversations with people, the way he was tuned into people, whether they were important in the world's eyes or not, the way he gave himself to heal people, the way he gave himself to help people, the way he built into his disciples, and the way he walked up that hill on Good Friday and laid his back on the cross and gave his very best all the way to the end. And when people get to know Jesus Christ and they're moved by what he has done, what God has done on their behalf of giving his very best, they spend the rest of their lives looking at everything differently. They realize that now I can work as unto the Lord. I can do my work, whether anybody's watching me or not. I can give him my very best. No matter what I'm doing, if I'm cleaning floors or washing dishes or changing a diaper or helping in a Sunday school classroom at church, or the way that I'm interacting with my neighbors, the way that I look at my marriage, the way that I look at parenting, the way I look at my relationships and friendships, the way I look at my pocketbook, I can give him my very best. And this Christmas, maybe what he's challenging you to do is maybe you've been giving him a little part of your life or the leftovers. If there's anything left over, then you can have this, Jesus. But he's saying, no, I want you. I want your very best. With the rest of your time here on earth, give me your very best. Worship me that way. So I don't expect you to remember all five, but you mind if we put those back on the screen? Here they are. This Christmas, there's five ways that you and I can be like the Magi. Which one stands out to you? Is it don't go it alone? Have you been trying to do that? Or have you been hanging out with people that aren't helping you follow Jesus more closely? What about ask for directions? Do you need to be more spiritually hungry and really mean the directions you're asking for? Do you need to go the distance tonight? Are you just, are you just hanging on by a thread and the Spirit of God is saying, trust me, don't quit. You need to bow down. Or are you fighting in your soul tonight instead of bowing down? You can do it even before this night ends, friends, by your bed. Give him your very best. Is he saying that to some of you today? tonight? Well, whatever one it is, remember that and carry that with you out of here, okay? And now I want to just pray that he might seal that to our hearts, and then we're going to light our candles next, all right? And then we'll be dismissed. Let me pray. I thank you, God, 
for the chance to gather tonight with these people. I don't know what you're saying to each one of them, but I know that you do speak to us and that you do reveal yourself. And I pray that this Christmas you'll honor your son by making him more real to us. And I pray that we'll honor you by responding to us the way you want us to. We're just so grateful that you saw the gap between us and you bridged the distance by sending your very best. We're so grateful. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, show us how to live under the influence of you working in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.